You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend, request me, or follow me, and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to Fundamentally Mormon. Uh, today we're going to be continuing on with the United Order, Chapter 13, and the title of the chapter is called The Honor- Honorable Laws of the Land. So we'll get right into the reading. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in honoring, obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law, 12th Article of Faith. In Thompson, near Kirtland, Ohio, some of the Latter-day Saints attempted to organize themselves into a united order. 
But before a full organization could be complete, according to the principles of consecration, some of the wealthy members backed out. They turned to the Gentile civil courts and sued the church. This was a serious blow to the establishment of the United Order in its earliest attempt, because they won the case, causing the collapse of the order. The saints learned this early lesson that it was necessary to organize, purchase land, and deed properties according to the laws of the land. Otherwise, the Gentiles and the apostates would have would have power to destroy and rob them of their property. This rule of obeying the law of the land in temple affairs was also confirmed by the Lord, who said, quote, Organize yourself, uh, yourselves according to the laws of men that your en- enemies may not have power over you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 44, verse 4 and 5. Page 186, and we're at 7%. Quote, And again, let no man break the laws of the land, for he that keepeth the laws of God hath no need to break the laws of the land. Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 21. It was evident that the saints could, according to the laws of the land, acquire the land they needed, gain titles and deeds, and organize themselves into a united order. Furthermore, by doing so, they would be under the protection of those laws from the enemies or apostates who might create trouble for them. The Lord made it clear to he that he had been instrumental in the establishment of the U.S. Constitution for this very purpose. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 98. Verses four, uh, verses five and six. One of the main problems the saints had was the constant changing of laws by those in public office who violated their oath of office. Many of these politicians made rules, regulations, and even laws which were against the Constitution. The Prophet Joseph Smith was aware of this fickle nature of men both in and out of public office and said, quote, Laws and opinions, like the veins on steeples, change with the wind. One Congress passes a law, another repeals it. And, only, and one statesman says that the Constitution means this and another that. And who does not know that they may be all wrong? That all may be wrong. And quote, Powers and Policies of the Government, page 25 and 26. Devising a practical, equitable, and trouble-free United Order system according to the laws of the land was a most exhaustive labor. Many systems and policies were tried, It seemed that lawyers and apostates were the major problems for those early saints. And we're on page 187 at 15%. Brigham Young said, I say to the Latter-day Saints that the only reason why we do not take up the subject and enter into the Order of Enoch or the City of Enoch is simply because we have not been able to find every item of law bearing upon this matter. 
so as to organize in a way that apostates cannot trouble us. This is the only reason. This is a matter that I am paying particular attention to with some of my brethren. As soon as we can accomplish this and get an instrument that lawyers cannot pick to pieces and destroy, we expect to get up this institution and enter most firmly into it. Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 122. The Lord gave many instructions to the saints pertaining to the purchase, purchasing of lands in Missouri. It was very important. It was a very important item of their faith, and in some cases they were commanded to do it. Orson Pratt commented, quote, "Unless the churches should be negligent and slothful upon this subject." The Lord told them that it was his will that the disciples should purchase the whole region of country as soon as time would permit. Behold here, saith the Lord, is wisdom. Let them do this lest they receive none inheritance, save it be by the shedding of blood. It would appear from this that unless the whole region should be purchased by the saints, they were to receive none inheritance there. And at the same time, an intimation was given that unless the saints were faithful and expeditious to do this, there would be a shedding of blood. New Jerusalem by Orson Pratt, page 16. We're on page 188 at 24%. The Lord explained these conditions and reasons when he said, quote, Behold the land of Zion, I, the Lord, hold it in mine own hands. Nevertheless, I, the Lord, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. Wherefore, I, the Lord, will that ye should purchase the lands, that you may have advantage of or from the world, that you may have claim on the world, that they may not be stirred up unto anger. Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verses 25 through 27. After the saints failed to obey these instructions, they were forced into the wilderness to make another attempt. Thousands of deeds were made to the church, but they were delayed for a time in order to obtain the form of a deed which should be legal according to the laws of the territory. In 1854, these deeds were conveyed to Brigham Young, trustee and trust, and not to the bishop of the church, which was departing from the letter of the revelations from the practice in Jackson County, Missouri, 20 years earlier. Building the City of God by Arrington Fox in May, page 69. So they weren't supposed to be given to the president of the church. That's what he's talking about. It's supposed to be given to, over to the bishop of the church. So in, in case you didn't know, um, there, the president of the church, um, there's a bishop over the whole church. So you've got your ward bishops, and then you have the bishop over, over the whole church. When I was converted in 1996, uh, Theodore Burton was the bishop of the church. And uh, interesting note, 
my first companion in my mission was actually his great nephew, uh, Mayan Burton, who was a very, very hardworking man from Rexburg, Idaho, and I will never forget him. He was a good missionary. Anyway, the deeds were never transferred, for it seemed they wanted to make them binding within the limits of the law. The hostility of the federal territory territorial courts to any aspect of Mormon life departing from greater American norms loomed as a constant threat, making incorporation advisable as a protection against suits by apostates. You can also find that on page 203 of the last book I quoted. We're on page 189 at 31%. Brigham Young made a very clear statement regarding these laws of the land and the reason that Mormons were trying to comply with them. Quote, We have to bow to the whims and the caprice of the ignorant and to the prejudice of the willful ignorant sectarianism. We are under the necessity of getting up our Constitution or the articles of our associations so that they will agree with existing statutes and be legal that we can carry on business as, as we wish without being infringed upon or molested by anyone. And quote, Journal of Discourses, volume 17, page 157. However, it was only a few years later that troubles again came for the Mormon people regarding their property. This time, the laws and constitution of the land were ruthlessly disregarded by the United States legislatures. They passed the Poland Bill, which divested the Mormon-dominated probate courts of criminal jurisdiction so any apostate could take a particular United Order group into the courts and collect as much as $20,000 in cash. An apostate named Copeland in Beaver sued his former order in the Gentile courts and received $10,000 in settlement. From an editorial in the Evening and Morning Star to the elders stationed in Zion came the following advice in support of the laws of the land. Quote, We would advise in the first place that every disciple, if in his power, pay his just debts so as to owe no man and then if he has any property left, let him be careful of it, and he can help the poor by consecrating some for their inheritance, for yet there has not been enough consecrated to plant the poor inheritances according to the regulations of the church and the desire of the faithful. This might have been done... This might have been done had such as had property been prudent. It seems as though a notion was prevalent in Babylon that the Church of Christ was a common stock concerned. This ought not to be ought not so to be, for if it was not the case for it was not the case. When a disciple comes to Zion for an inheritance it is his duty, if he has anything to consecrate to the Lord for the benefit of the poor and the needy, 
or to purchase lands to consecrate it according to the law of the Lord and also according to the law of the land. And the Lord has said that in keeping his law, we have no need to break the laws of the land. And we have abundant reason to be thankful that we are permitted to establish ourselves under the protection of the government that knows no exceptions to sex or society, but gives its citizens a privilege of worshiping God according to their own desires. And quote, United Order Among the Mormons by Geds, page 63. And then was... And then was added, quote, But to suppose that we can come up here and take possession of this land by the shedding of blood would be setting at naught the laws of the glorious gospel and also the word of our great Redeemer. And to suppose that we can take possession of this country without making regular purchases of the, of the same according to the laws of our nation would be reproaching this great republic in which the most of us were born under those whose auspices we all have protection. End quote from the same book, page 64. We're at 91%. I'm sorry, not. We're at page 191 at 47%. Continuing. Christian laws and Gentile laws have always had conflicts, but the United Order was a principle that would suffer as much from within as it would from without. The laws of the land were serving serving a double purpose. Quote, The decision to organize the branches of the United Order under the territorial law and corporation provoked regret if not dissatisfaction. Among those who longed for the system commented by unselfishness and brotherly love, a legal corporate, a legally corporate order controlled by stock voting sim- seemingly similar to the co-ops stood in stark contrast to their expected family type. The order, with all working for all and no account kept in terms of money or wages. The presidency answered that although all communities would eventually take that form, people were not yet ready to be for a perfect system. Consequently, accepting the legally incorporated form meant a a move towards the goal. In rare cases where the members were willing and eager to adopt the family pattern, it was advised that that account should be kept by a credit and debit system of the contributions and goods and labor of the consumption of each individual. Thus, misunderstandings over supposed inequality and discrimination would be avoided. End quote, building the city of God by Arrington Fox in May, page 151. Page 192 at 56%. The more we study these statements about honoring the laws of the land, the more we learn 
that they apply to titles, lend purchases, deeds, conveyances, abstracts, etc., but do not apply to the doctrines or religious principles. Notice Brigham Young's advice when he said, quote, We are at liberty from this conference to go and build up a settlement, or we can join ourselves together in this city, do it legally according to the laws of the land, and enter into covenant with each other by a firm agreement that we live that we will live as a family, that we will put our property into the hands of a committee of trustees who shall dictate the affairs of this society. Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 8. It was at this point in history there came a major conflict between the laws of God and the laws of man. Obeying the laws of the land means that men should obey laws that protect to the land, not laws opposing religious principles or doctrines. This has always been a problem for prophets, patriarchs, apostles, and all of the saints. The laws of the land were meant for the protection and the good of all, but those laws could not be infringed on, could not infringe on the inalienable rights of the common law of man. The laws of the land pertaining are pertain to the land, but not to religion. But notice how a vicious law actually was used against the Mormons. Quote, As the destruction of the Brigham City Cooperative Sawmill Project at Marsh Valley, Idaho, illustrates, Mormons were subject to harsh, arbitrary applications of the law at the hands of hostile federal appointees. Page 93 at 63%. I'm sorry, that's page 193 at 63%. Continuing with the quote, church leaders wanted to break with traditional economic and social usages, inaugurating a new, more just order but were hindered by the knowledge that hostile judges were scrutinizing their every act, prepared to bring the full weight of the law to combat any activities contrary to accepted American practice, and quote, building the city of God by Arrington Fox and May, page 162. But the saints could not compromise if rules, regulations, laws, or the whims of courts should contradict the laws of God. The Lord said that, quote, Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the, of the law of the celestial kingdom, otherwise I cannot receive her unto myself. Doctrine and Covenants, section 105, verse 5. Neither did the saints need to worry about defending themselves or fighting to defend the laws of God, for he said, I will fight your battles. Doctrine and Covenants, section 105, verse 14. The people of the United States did not abide by the laws of their own constitution, for they confiscated the lands of the Mormons, sanctioned the the depre depredations of mobs allowed the saints to be driven from state to state and finally forced them into the wilderness territory. 
Even this was not enough, for they soon sent an army out to destroy them. Then they made direct laws against the rites and religion of the Mormons. The Latter-day Saints believed in honoring and sustaining the constitutional laws of the land, but the people of the United States did not. President John Taylor said, quote, There are certain principles that emanate from God, but we have to protect ourselves in carrying them out and make them conform as near as we can to the laws of the land. And quote, Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 178. And quote, we're on page 194 at 72%. But this did not mean sacrificing the laws of God to the laws of man. Jesus said that he would render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. It was again repeated in our dispensation. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verse 26. This indicates a definite distinction between church and state or property and religion or the temporal and the spiritual. Only dictators assume the right to make the laws of the land that dictate man's religion. Religious freedom is supposed to be protected by the Constitution and by those men who take an oath to defend it. God, God does not expect men to give up his religion to an unrighteous, the unrighteous demands of political tyrants. Governments cry for a separation of church and state, but it also applies that there must be a separation of state from church. Almost every government that ever existed has trampled on the rights of the religious freedoms. In the United States, both state and federal governments have made some of the most violent abuses against religious freedom. The separation of church and state must apply both ways. And let me just say something. It doesn't ever talk about the separation of church and state in the Constitution. Thomas Jefferson wrote something about that in a letter which had nothing to do with any laws or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. So whenever the left wants to say that there has to be a separation of church and state, well... I guess they're kind of talking about some some things that could be spoken into the Constitution, but the actual writing of that by Thomas Jefferson was in a letter uh, to a bishop, or not a bishop, but I think it was a Baptist pastor. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. Anyway, there is some there is some things in the Bill of Rights that. Um, that the government's supposed to stay out of people's religious life. Um, you can read that into the bill. I think it's the first first amendment of the Bill of Rights. Anyway, maybe I'll just stay off that topic. But I do know that the whole separation of church and state, the words there were from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a, a Protestant minister, and I believe he was Baptist, that the person that was receiving the letter. Anyway, 
An important concept in Mormon theology is obedience to the laws of the land, but we cannot sustain and obey any unjust, immoral, or unconstitutional or tyrannical law just because it is a law. Neither should men submit to any form of unholy law opposing the law of God. We believe in honoring and sustaining the law if it is honorable and worthy of sustaining. We also claim and demand the privilege privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience. End quote, and that's talked about in the 11th article of faith. But not sustaining, actually that's not end quote, it's just a bracket, that's the 11th article of faith that he's talking about. Anyway, continuing on with the quote, but not submitting to the law that demands us to act against our conscience. Laws are often created by biased and unwise men, and it is not proper to meekly submit to statutes, rules, regulations, and regulations that are unconstitutional just because it has become passed by some agency of the government. We're on page 195 at 83%. Submissions to unjust laws. Submission to unjust law is voluntary servitude. Men may defend their inalienable or unalienable rights and make appeals to civil authority for any infraction of civil or religious liberties. See Doctrine and Covenants section 134. When any injustice or denial of liberty is enforced by a government through some vicious or prejudicial law, the Lord instructs his people to appeal for a redress of their wrongs. Let him importune at the feet of the judge, and if he heed them not, let them importune at the feet of the governor. And if the governor heed them not, let them importune at the feet of the president. And if the president heed them not, let the, let, then will the Lord arise and come forth out of his hiding place, and in this fury vex the nation." and in his hot displeasure, and in his fierce anger in his time, who will cut off those wicked, unfaithful, and unjust stewards, and appoint them their portion among the hypocrites and unbelievers, even in outer darkness, where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Doctrine and Covenants, section 86, verse 91. Religious liberty is more sacred than civil liberty. Being a part of an inalienable rights of man or unalienable or unalienable, that's how everybody says it, but unalienable rights of man. No man or set of men have the just power to deprive anyone of their sacred rights. Therefore, whatsoever God has joined together as marriage or the united order or whatever, let not man put asunder. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Certainly God will not honor or dishonor, certainly God will not honor a dishonorable law, nor does he expect any good man to obey an evil law. So that's the end 
of that chapter. Uh, when we come back on, we'll be at page 196, and we'll be in chapter 14, which is our contemporary or contemptible society. Um, so let me just say, um, I did a radio show this morning from 6 to 8, and since I'm record- pre-recording this the day before, and I pre-recorded this morning's show back on Thursday, I think it was, last week, um, the chat lines and the phone lines and all of that will be open, and I will try to keep an eye on that. And if we do have any callers that early in the morning, I will take them on. So this is pretty. This is a pretty short recording. It's only right now at t- almost 30 minutes. Um, so tomorrow when I do the program from 6 to 7, I think it will be, um, yeah, I'll have the phone lines open. And so as you're hearing this, the phone lines will be open. You can also listen to this on iTunes uh, in the podcast by going and looking for Fundamentally Mormon there. Um, and for the most part, people will listen to this after the fact, but if we do have, by chance, anybody who does call in, um, I'm going to start this program tomorrow on the 28th of September at um, 6 a.m. So we will be, at this point, uh, we'll be around... 6.45 in the morning where I opened up the radio show program uh, for guest call-ins, any questions, comments. And I know that's early, but I'm just trying to help my wife um, not have to do these things. So uh, I usually turn on their lights around 5 in the morning because I usually try to get off work I work from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., but I try to be done with all my loads by 4 and then leave the yard by 4.30. So I turn the lights on at 5 to help everybody start to wake up, and I open all their doors. And then at 5.30, I I turn their lights on in their bedrooms so that they wake up because my wife actually has to leave by 6.45. So right about now is the time that she would be leaving but she can also call into the radio show as she's driving with our uh, younger kids to where they go to elementary school and to the babysitter. So she'll be listening and she can comment if she wants, uh, but she'll probably be pretty busy at this time in the morning. Anyway, so like I said, I'm recording this on the 27th of September, 2021. So... Phone lines are open, chat rooms open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And we'll give you a little bit of a preview of the next chapter, starting on page 196. Now, before I begin, you can read this book for free online at ogdenkraut.com. You don't have to wait for me to post things. Now, People enjoy it when I post things, and they actually read it rather than listen to it, but some of you do listen, so I'll continue to create these recordings of me reading, but just so you know, you can go to um, ogdencrowd.com and then click on Read Ogden's Books and scroll down to United Order, and if you do that, 
we're starting on page 196 for the preview, and that's chapter 14. So, our contemporary or contemptible society. But I know that there is no man on this earth who can call around him property, but he is a merchant, tradesman, or farmer, with his mind continually occupied with, how shall I get this or that? How rich can I get? Or how much can I get out of this brother or from that brother? In Dickler and work and take advantage here and there, so no such man ever can magnify the priesthood nor enter into the celestial kingdom. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume... Sorry, I had an alarm going off and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off because I, I turned it off on the tablet, but it was still ringing, so I had to figure that out. Sorry. Um, okay, so, and take advantage here and there. No such man ever came or can magnify the priesthood nor enter the celestial kingdom. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume 11, page 297. And that attitude that people have comes from a Gentile corrupt heart. It does not come from the saint, a saint, a true saint of God. Now, the whole world is full of Gentiles and the church is completely packed full of Gentiles. And you'll see that kind of attitude among the saints. Uh, I've seen it so many times among the people that I, uh, am around. Um, I observe a lot, but I don't say a lot concerning different things. Anyway, continuing on. The Savior made a a parallel between our generation and that of Noah, not because of heavy rainfall or large ships, but because of the necessity for the whole whole world to be cleansed. The time is long past for the Latter-day Saints to decide which course they wish to pursue, following the worldly and their inevitable collapse and destruction or seeking to obey the laws and principles of heaven which God has already given them. Brigham Young described our conditions to Messiah Hancock, who said, quote, He, speaking of Young, Brigham Young, conversed freely on the situation of the saints in the mountains and said that he dreaded the time when the saints would become popular with the world, for he had seen it in sorrow in a dream or in dreams this people clothed in the fashions of Babylon and drinking in the spirit of Babylon until one could hardly tell a saint from a black leg. And that comes from Life of Mosiah Hancock, page 73 and 74. And that also uh, concludes the preview for today. And that last quote actually goes right in with Isaiah uh, chapter 28, where it talks about the one mighty and strong coming forth among the drunkards of Ephraim. And I asked God what it meant that they were drunk. And what he told me directly, personal revelation, but I'll share it with you, is that the reason that they are drunk is because they're they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. And the one mighty and strong is talked about as going among the drunkards of Ephraim and teaching they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And basically all that means 
is people who are ready for something more than the milk of the gospel. That's who the one mighty and strong would go among. Now, there's an interesting part of Isaiah chapter 28 that gives you a something to look out for as far as the the time of the coming of the one mighty and strong among the drunkards of Ephraim. And it's found in the first portion of the Revelation where it says uh, waves would heave themselves beyond their bounds, which is interesting because in 2004 there was a wave that heated itself beyond their bounds wherein 250,000 people died, millions were left homeless and injured, and we're talking about the Indonesian earthquake tsunami of 2004. And what's interesting about that is that is actually right at the end of the cursed time period. Now, what am I talking about? In Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, Jesus tells them a couple of things. He says, build a temple where the Father can come dwell therein, that he might restore the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, or the fullness of the priesthood. And he says, if you don't build the temple... If you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead, and there will be wrath and cursings and indignation and all this stuff. But he also talks about all they who hinder the work will be cursed to the fourth, third and fourth generation. Well, the saints in Nauvoo hindered the work because they wouldn't take the time to actually build the temple. They dragged their feet. Uh, they had uh, men working up in Wisconsin, cutting down timber and then hauling it into log platforms on the Mississippi River and then taking the logs down to Nauvoo that were consecrated for the building up of the temple. But they used those logs for other things. One of those things was a Masonic temple, which they did finish. Now, they never finished the Nauvoo temple. They did finish the outside for the most part, but the inside was never finished. They had to use tarps for walls and do all kinds of other stuff. But the condemning thing about section 124 is Jesus tells them that the Most High, who is the Father, must come personally to dwell therein that he might restore that which was lost to you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. And here Jesus also says, if they don't do what I say, they'll be rejected as a church when they're dead, which means the church can be rejected for disobedience, which they were. But the other part that I want to talk about is he says, all they who hinder this work will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Now, something interesting about that, God didn't fight our battles for us, and we did not remain in our place which is what would have happened if they were obedient and finished the temple. But we were cast off every which way. Most of the saints heading out to the wilderness in, in what we know now as Utah, but back then it was a Mexican territory. But the whole part about hindering the work, they did that. And the whole church was cursed to the third and fourth generation just like Jesus said they would be. The third and fourth generation is something that's interesting. So one generation following Moses around in the wilderness was 40 years. That's one generation. Four generations would be 160 years. Now something interesting, the revelation that I'm speaking of was given in January of 1841. 
So we can look at that as the beginning of the time period for the third and fourth generation. Joseph Smith was taken from the earth June of 1844, so we can look at that time period as being the end of the beginning of the four generations. Now, if you take both of those starting points, anywhere in between them could be the time of the starting of the fourth generation, where they would be cursed to the fourth generation. You go out 160 years and you get to between 2001 and 2004. And what's interesting about that, in my perspective, is that I was called forth in 2003 and set apart with the fullness of the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom and the priesthood and all of it um, to do the work that I have been called to do as the one mighty and strong. And another interesting thing is that at the end of the time period when the church would be cursed, and also Isaiah chapter 28 where it gives a uh, something to look for as far as a sign, that waves would be heaving themselves beyond their bound before the one mighty and strong would show up among the drunkards of Ephraim. So yes, I do, I do proclaim to be the one mighty and strong, and uh, and what the one mighty and strong's job is, Doctrine and Covenants section eighty five verse seven states that he shall set in in order the house of God, but in Isaiah chapter twenty eight it is a little bit more clear that he would go among the drunkards of Ephraim and teach they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, basically teach the people deeper doctrines and try to get them to understand the restoration and to be obedient to God's laws. Well, that's what this radio program is. And when it says that the Davidic servant sprinkles his word throughout the nations, that's what this is. We are sprinkling the truth of God through Zion's Redemption Radio Network, the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets, and Fundamentally, uh, fundamentally Mormon, which is the podcast you're listening to right now. So anyway, I just wanted to take time to give a little bit of insight with that. So it looks like we are getting close to the rest uh, to the the program now. I'll check to see if anybody's in the studio, and then if they're not, we'll just go right to the music without any further ado. So thank you everyone for listening. Like I said, when we come back. We will be on chapter, let me see here, just scrolling up to it. We'll be on chapter 14, our contemporary or contemptible society. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the program. Take care. God bless, and goodbye.
and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, this morning, um, I'm not really sure where I'm actually going with our message for this morning, uh, but there's been some things uh, for the last day, 24 hours or so, that I just have been thoughts that have just been coming into my mind and into my heart and things that I want to talk about. And so I've got several windows pulled up on my computer, and we're just going to work through some scriptures today, most of which is actually going to come out of the book of Revelation. I do know what I think the general theme of today's conversation is going to be, and that is is that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. God is a God of balances. He is a God of justice, a God of measurement. You reap what you sow. Let me start with Ecclesiastes because I want to start with this theme that I've been kind of going on for the last two years. Really since the chaos that we are currently dealing with started. And we've seen the nefariousness of it, the wickedness of it, the evilness of it. And I've talked about how, hey, these people that that have done this to humanity, that have done this to the world what they've got coming is going to be terrible. And in fact, the ditches that they've dug to put us in, they themselves are going into them. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom that we've covered in the past. It says this, verse 8, chapter 10, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whosoever breaketh a hedge a serpent shall bite him. It's this idea that you're going to get what's coming to you. And when you do these evil things, like you premeditate these evil plans, especially when you're premeditating evil plans for God's people, you've got it coming to you. And so my goal this morning is to give you some encouragement Um, And also to challenge you in some areas, there's some things I might say today that are going to offend some people, but that's nothing new. God is a God of balances, and you reap which is so. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. By the way, here's a great memory verse. If you've thought about, hey, I want to start memorizing scripture, here's a great one to start with because it's easy. Galatians 6, 7, 8. Galatians 6, 7, 8, which says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
God is not mocked. These people who have done what they have done, who've conjured up all this stuff, who perpetuate lies through the television, who poison and murder, this ditch that they've dug, they're going into it. They're going into it. Again, God is a God of balances, and he's a God of scales and precision. We're going to read uh, Revelation 18 about Mystery Babylon, because I'm going to continue to make this point. But I want to start with, remember in the book of Daniel, when judgment came to Babylon, and the, you, the famous story of the hand writing on the wall, right? In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, it says, And this is the writing that was written. Meanie, meanie, tekel, upharsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meanie, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. I don't have the scripture in front of me, but... When God's talking about how he's going to send the Israelites into Canaan and to, to rid the land of the Canaanites, he, he says, you know, I've, in a, I'm paraphrasing, I've been waiting for the fullness of their sin to come in. Right? There's a, God has a measurement. When that, think of it like a cup. When the cup is full, he takes that full of sin, full of iniquity, full of evil he takes that cup that the people have been filling up and storing up and then he dumps it right back on top of them all the things that they had stored up all the evil that they had done comes crashing back on them fourfold tenfold the perfect example and the most relevant example to the time that we're living in is dealing with mystery babylon so when we go to revelation 18 let's just start reading it and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through her abundance and of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. Here's the part I'm getting at. We're talking about how God measures it, how when it's full, when the, the iniquity's full, then the judgment comes. And the judgment is the very thing that they did to others, that they stored up. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. It's a reaping of what 
if some mystery Babylon is going to be annihilated with the very evils that they poured out, that Babylon poured out on the world. Verse 7, here's more description. How much she hath glorified herself and, de- and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and I shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. That judgment's coming in one day. Just one day, boom. She's going to be burned with fire. And all the ways that she lived lavishly, right? Deliciously, deciviously. The the way that she just had all the abundance and wealth and riches at the expense of other nations around the world, at the expense of other peoples around the world, that's all coming back on her. That's all coming back on her. In the same way that she lived in luxury, that is the level of torment that she's going to receive. And one of the reasons is because she thinks to herself that nothing could ever happen. I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and I shall see no sorrow. This is why over the years I have speculated that Mystery Babylon could be the United States of America. The United States of America could be the new Rome of the end times and there's so many we're not going to dig into it today but there's just so many ways that that works um but there's other reasons to believe it's not there's reasons to believe that it's literally the uh, the great city which would be jerusalem some think it's a revived roman empire i think if we're going to go that route america is the revived roman empire Nevertheless, here's what we know. This place sits as a queen and thinks nothing can ever happen to me. The, the nations of the world get rich and the merchants of the earth get rich from the abundance and her uh, lavish living. She's a fornicator, which the only reason, the only way you can form, and an adulterer, and the only way you can really kind of become that in God's eyes is if you, you were once committed to him and then you go whoring after false gods or after wickedness. Just something to be thinking about. But the point is, is that God is a God of measurement. He is a God of justice. And so he's keeping tabs and he's, that cup is being filled. And when that cup is full, He's going to pour it out on Babylon, and it's going to be double what she did. I mean, if we think about the evil that's going on that these people are doing right now, I mean, we we can go down the laundry list of things that they have done that we're not allowed to even say without being censored and canceled and all of that. And it's so beyond evil. That's all coming back on these people. That's all coming back on these people. They're going to pay for what they have done. 
Notice God says, come out of her, my people. A lot of people speculate, what does that mean? And I don't have all the answers other than to say, I think, I think there's two possibilities and they could both be true. Number one, come out of her means in a spiritual sense, meaning you step away from the ways of Babylon. You stop participating in the type of entertainment that Babylon wants to feed you. You, you know, you withdraw from the apostasy. You, you no longer participate with those things. You're no longer a part of that system. And then I think there could be a supernatural coming out where God brings his people out so that they kind of like the days of Lot scenario. Right, And Jesus makes a point to make sure we understand that it'll be like the days of Lot and Noah, right? And what happened with Lot? Lot was, angels came and literally took him by the hand because he was messing around, almost not refusing to go. And they're like, we can't do our thing till you're out of here. And they grab him by the hand and they take him out of the city and then fire and brimstone rain down. And so it could be a supernatural situation like that. Again, today the goal is not to break down all of this dealing with Babylon, other than just to say, reap what you sow. All that's evil that's been done, it's all coming back. It's all coming back. And then there's a great, and then there's the final way that it's all coming back. When we start talking about eternal consequences not only are they going to pay in this life but they're going to pay for all eternity and so we have two things that are going to happen the righteous those who the, those who mourn those who those who have suffered this evil they're going to and, and have trusted in Jesus have trusted in Christ as their salvation they are going into an eternal kingdom and the others are going into a lake of fire. Now, because we've heard this forever, uh, we've kind of grown numb to this, just how insanely terrible this is. It's unfathomable to think of literally being tormented, literally burning, that never ends. And worse, there's no hope that it ever ends. It never, ever ends. This is how serious it is. And people don't take their salvation seriously. And they, don't, they don't understand how desperate the consequences really are. We're talking it never, ever ends. Let's read Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 through 15. Here's what's coming to the devil and to the false prophet and all these evil who have rejected Christ and have tormented the world. Starting with verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was no place, and there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. 
and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, real quick, this is like the final moments, right? Everybody's boom, resurrected, brought before God. Even the people who are currently in what we would call Hades right now, where they're being tormented, awaiting their final judgment. It's kind of like you commit a crime, you go to jail, and you await your date for a trial, right? Except in instance, this instance, they already know. They already know the outcome. So they have no hope right now as they're in Hades awaiting the final day. Then they're brought out. Okay, and we just read that. And every man is judged according to his works. It said the sea gave up the dead and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of the fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name's not in the book of life, that's where the future is. Let's move on to Revelation 21, the next chapter here. Verses 1 through 8. This is the good news, but it's got some... It's, it's good news for us, but there's some severe warnings as well. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new and he said unto me write for these are the words true and faithful and he said unto me it is done I am the Aleph, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, here's the but, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire with burn, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you catch that list? Let's start with the very first thing on the list. These are the people going into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The fearful. This is interesting to me. This is those who lack faith. Listen, there's a lot of people who've succumbed to the fear. And things things are bad, but they're not as bad as tribulation times. 
They're not as bad as when the wrath is poured out. They're not as bad as when the Antichrist is literally ruling and the mark of the beast is on the line. But here's the thing, and here's where I'm going to upset and offend a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have succumbed to the fear of the situation we're in now, and they've taken the world's solution to that fear. And they're buying into what the sorcerers of our day are telling them. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm looking at these people, by the way, they're also the very ones condemning everyone else. How dare you not do this? If you're unable to resist the fear of this day, and you're unable to resist taking the solutions this day because of peer pressure or because of whatever, how would, how would you ever resist the mark of the beast? Seriously. Going back to Mystery Babylon, because I brought up sorcerers. It's, when we go back to chapter 18, and it's um, giving a description of Babylon, what she's like. Verse 23, and it says, The light of the candle shall shine, shall shine no more in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all the nations deceived. So all the nations are deceived by Babylon through thy sorceries. And as I've covered before, the word sorceries there is the Greek word pharmakia. That's where we get our word pharmaceutical. So if, if it's by the pharmaceuticals, if it's by the pharmakia that the nations are deceived, if that's what the sorcery is, then who are the sorcerers? Let you think on that for a little while. Those sorcerers who are using sorcery to deceive the nations are going into the lake of fire. I mean, am I, am I out of line here by making that connection? If if the nations are deceived by sorceries, and that's the sin of Babylon, and it says here that the sorcerers are going into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now listen, let me just make it clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you've ever been afraid and made a mistake or made a decision out of fear and lack of faith that you're not saved. If you've trusted in Jesus, even if you are part of the problem, but you have trusted in Christ and you're saved, all those who believe upon his name, believe that he died for our sins and then three days later God rose him from the dead shall be saved I'm talking about those godless people who are doing and bringing this evil upon the world the sorcerers the murderers the whoremongers the unbelieving notice it says the fearful and unbelieving that's the same thing 
you're fearful because you lack faith. Unbelieving. Those who reject God. In fact, I don't have it pulled up, but when we read through the book of Revelation, it's very clear that the world knows who's doing this. They're gnawing on their tongues because of the pain that they're dealing with, and it says they refuse to repent. They know. Listen, according to the book of Revelation, if we take it in a literal sense, there's angels that fly through the sky warning preaching the gospel, giving warnings. You have the 144,000. The message is being clearly put out there. Everyone knows who's pouring out this judgment, and yet they mock God. They refuse to repent. I don't really believe in atheists. I believe those who say there is no God know better. They just don't like God, and they want to believe there is no God. Scriptures say the cross sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. The cross sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. I want to circle back around, because I feel like I'm getting down too many rabbit holes here, and sometimes that causes more confusion than... You reap what you sow. You know, even in the end times, the people that have participated in the evil, like we've been talking about, if you go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, it says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, the people who are doing this, who are forcing people into captivity and killing people they're going to they're going to reap exactly what they've done here is the patience and the faith of the saints in other words be comforted by this knowing they're getting what's coming what does jesus tell peter right peter draws a sword to try to defend jesus and he says and then jesus said to him in matthew chapter 26 verse 62 Put up again thy sword into thy place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. If you live by it, you die by it. You reap what you sow. If that's where your trust is, it's going to backfire. All this judgment is coming. And the vengeance belongs to the Lord. All we need to do is seek him, continue to share the gospel, continue to pray, continue to repent of sin, and to be found doing his work when the trumpet blasts. He's going to take care of the vengeance. He's going to take care of righting all the wrongs. And then on the last day, like we read, he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. And all these wicked people that have done all this are going into the lake of fire. Deuteronomy chapter 32. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. God has a specific time when he's going to do all this. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Paul reminds us of this in chapter 12 of the book of Romans when he's telling us how we are to walk as Christians. He says, recompense no man evil for evil. In other words, you don't take vengeance. You don't pay them back. 
Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as it lieth with you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, as much as it relies on you, you do everything you can to be at peace. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You reap what you sow. They're going to fall into their own pit. Be not discouraged. There's coming a day when we're going to see a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And God is going to live amongst us and be our God and wipe away our tears. No, be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. He's going to make all things new. And those of us who overcome shall inherit all things, and he will be our God, and we will be his sons. And here's also the good news, is even in the midst of all this, when God's pouring out judgment and he's, he knows how to preserve his people. Let's finish by going to Second Peter. Second Peter, Peter chapter 2, let's just read nine verses and then we'll wrap it up for the day. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow, follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy con conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to do it. He knows how to preserve you while still reserving the unjust for judgment. You do not need to be afraid. Does it mean we're going to be comfortable? No. Does it mean we're going to be happy to see the world falling in pieces around us as it is right now? No, of course not. It's stressful and at times fearful. But we have to remember that fear is the absence of faith. We've got to replace that with faith. We've got to replace that with faith. The unbelieving, the ungodly, those who reject Christ, reject God, they have a reason to live in fear because they have no hope. You are not supposed to live like you have no hope. They have no hope. They have to trust in the world's solutions. You don't have to. You have God. 
You don't have to be afraid all the time. They should be afraid. Because when this is all over, the unbelieving, the liars, they're going into the lake of fire. You're going into New Jerusalem. So don't be afraid and stop stressing over these wicked people. They're, they're, their day is coming. If We're supposed to pray for them because they need the Lord. They, they really have no hope. Their future is horrible. What's coming for them is unthinkable. But not you. Not those of you who have trusted in Messiah. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire with burn, which, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I hope you've been blessed this morning. I know that this, this was kind of a chaotic podcast and I was kind of all over the place. I just had so many thoughts and things going on right now. But the whole point I was trying to make is that you don't need to be afraid. You reap what you sow. So sow righteousness, right? Just like we read from our uh, tour portion last week, choose life. I said, he told Moses, I, Moses told the people, I said before you, life and death, choose life. Choose life. Trust in Jesus. Let go. Take up your cross and follow him. There's nothing, this world has nothing for us. We're sojourners in a foreign land. We have a mission. Everybody's like, I don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is to be the salt and the light to this world. Your purpose is to share the good news of Jesus. Your purpose is to walk that out in front of others so that they will see your good works and glorify God. That is your purpose. I just want to end by saying, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to do this podcast. Uh, I'm so grateful and thankful to have this work that the Lord has given me and you guys have supported it over the years and made it possible, and it's just, it's a great blessing to me. It's a great blessing to me to be able to do this and to study the Word and to share ideas, and I definitely don't get it all right. And I, and I get nervous when I do messages like this where I'm kind of off the cuff because I fear that I will say something that it'll come out in, in a way that I don't mean and people will take it the wrong way and I don't want to lead anybody wrong and it's hard. But I'm grateful to be able to do it. And, I, and my hope, my prayer is that one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it'll be because you guys helped me make it possible. So thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting it. Thank you for sharing it. I hope you've been blessed this morning. I hope I've given you some things to think about, some things to study. My job is not to tell you everything. My job is to stir a hunger within you and to let you, and to share the good news, which is that Christ was crucified. He died. God rose him from the third day. And if you believe, 
if you believe, you will also be resurrected in the last days. And you don't have to be afraid of what's coming. Because you are not appointed to wrath. And God knows how to preserve the righteous out of temptation. That's what the scriptures say. And he's a God of justice and a God of balance. And the scales are found a little uneven, right? They're way, things have been weighed in the balances and it's found wanting. We're at a place where I feel like because God is who he is, because he is, is a righteous and holy God, he's going to have to do something soon because this is unsustainable. There has to be judgment or there has to be revival, but God is going to have to do something because of who he is and because of, who, because of his nature. And so I'm looking and hoping with expectation, waiting on the Lord. All right, I've rambled on enough. Uh, thank you for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless. podcast that you can find on YouTube by looking up Truth Said or going to scriptureandprophecy.com. I love that ministry. Uh, He's got a ton of resources available for your scripture study. And uh, it's just, it's good. He's got a good voice and he's got a good podcast. YouTube channel, so uh, I just wanted to share that with everyone out there. Um, Before I go, um, in 2016, God gave me a written revelation where he commanded me to leave Spanish Fork, Utah, and move to Emory County, Utah, and he told me to warn the people that they needed to leave populated areas and that the gathering place is Emory County. And I was commanded to remain here. At the time, we didn't have a place that we could just move to, but we found a place in Orangeville, Utah. And we lived there for a couple of years. And then God, by maybe not miraculous means, but not coincidental. I I don't know the words, but we are on a 10-acre farm now, and God told me to remain here until the time comes when we should go down to an area northwest of Lake Powell, And he gave me a specific location, an Escalante National Monument, I think it's called. And uh, what's interesting about that is I told Kevin Kraut what God told me. And Kevin said that he too had received a word from the Lord 
commanding him to do the same thing. Now he lives in Santa Quinn, Utah. Uh, and then he told me that there was one other individual who also received the same revelation. I don't know who they are. I've never met them. Or maybe I have, and I just don't know who it is, because Kevin, you know, he doesn't just name drop or anything like that. But um, also Eugene Richardson received the same revelation, but not specifically where. But in Isaiah chapter 35, it talks about the remnant in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places and how they would become a Zion people in the, de- in the desert and in the wilderness. And uh, God told me that I will know the right time to leave because I will see what is going on in, in this place. Even this county that's sparsely populated will become too dangerous to remain. So... With all that being said, I will try to work on another podcast if I wake up early enough today and I'll get it recorded and I will try to be back on tomorrow at 6 a.m. Now, that's not guaranteed, but if you are following me on Facebook or you are following any of my pages or groups, I will post in my groups or pages Um, And on my wall, which is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's Lazarus 1977, spelled a little different than in the English Bible. But uh, I will post on my wall uh, the text to the reading and uh, the program information for tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., which will be the 29th of September, Wednesday at 6 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. So anyway, uh, hopefully I have something to go by then. If not, then I'll try to get it by Thursday. And uh, I will be back on to read Chapter 14 of the United Order. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, God bless, and goodbye. Thank you.